Hi there guys and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking all about when should you start your rehab? If you've got back pain, should you be starting it now? Should you wait until you're out of pain? It's a really common question and something that we're going to discuss in today's live stream. So hopefully by the end of it, you'll have a clear understanding as to whether or not you should be starting your rehab right now. As always, if you're new to the channel, please do consider subscribing, hit the notification bell. Some of you guys watching this may well be aware of the competition we've got running at the moment. So you'll need to be subscribed to the channel so you can do that after this video um, to make sure that you don't miss out on any of our future live streams. We go live every single weekday and we always do Q&A. Today's no different. We've got Lara the other side of the camera. She'll be taking down your questions. So if you've got any comments, questions, anything like that, post those in the comments while we're going through today's topic and we'll get to that at the end of the video. As always, let's get into today's live stream. Okay guys, so we've got everything on the board here. We're gonna run through this uh, today. If you've got any questions, as I said earlier in the intro, please do post those in the comments and we'll get to those towards the end of the live stream. I just wanted to start off with uh, sort of a little overview before we get into what you should exactly be doing. So uh, having that pain in your lower back is generally a sign that there's something going on there, uh, which is important. We wanna know there's an injury in the lower back. The pain is our body's way of signaling to us that there is something wrong. The problem arises many of you guys watching this will have a degree of chronic pain or may have had chronic back pain in the past maybe it's come and gone over the years and it's not healing well and sometimes when we have chronic pain versus a newly injured structure the signals that are coming to our brain that pain is is somewhat unhelpful and that I think uh, causes a lot of trouble for people that have had back pain for a longer period of time whereby they're just really anxious about doing any sorts of activities and Part of that is maybe in the past, you've gone into those activities and you haven't known, but they've been the wrong sort of activities. Uh, maybe you started doing some knee hugs, maybe you started doing sit-ups and you've, your back's gone again. And, and that creates a degree of uncertainty. And when, it, when things are chronic, it really can be quite unhelpful because the pain we often experience in terms of chronic pain, the degree to which it bothers us on a daily basis is often disproportionate at that point to the actual severity of the injury. And chronic pain is something that's very complex and maybe we can get into that in another live stream. But just know that even if it is chronic, we probably still, or if, if not, there's more chance, we need to actually get into that rehab sooner rather than later, but we have to do the right ones. The second one is the lower back anatomy. I wanted to talk about this very important, this is a very important concept and hopefully it'll help you guys understand what's going on because in the lower back we can have things like uh, slip discs uh, disc bulges herniations we can have spondylolisthesis which we covered in a live stream earlier this week we can have stenosis spondylo spondylotic changes all those sorts of things and they occupy space down here they make mean that the space that these little nerves come out of gets smaller and that means that when inflammation builds up there it increases the pressure in that area and we get the sick uh, the symptoms so that could be sharp shooting pain down the leg it could be that band-like pain across the lower back. It could be in the glutes. It could be down in the big toe. It could just be weakness. Maybe it's just a little bit of weakness. You don't have any pain, but you just know that this muscle isn't working as well as it should be. There's something going on there. And I want to draw this, uh, the, the, the similarity to this, to if we are, for example, leaning on our elbow here. We've got the ulnar nerve that runs through a little groove in here. And if we lean on our elbow in just the right spot, we occupy that space where the nerve goes through in the elbow by coming in and, and, and making it smaller by putting pressure in that area, we're going to start to get numbness tingling into the hands. And 
for many of you guys that feel that, you know, just take your pressure off your elbow and it'll go a bit numb and then it'll go away. But if you stayed leaning on that elbow for the next six weeks, you'd start to get really concerned if you didn't know you were leaning on the elbow. Uh, why on earth has my hand gone all numb? Why why can't I feel anything? Why am I not able to move? I've got this horrible sensation going on my arm. And you and, and you and someone would come in and go, hey, stop leaning on your elbow. And that and that's gonna make it better. And and that's the problem with this here. You're not leaning on it, but you are occupying that space with excess inflammation. You're not maybe moving as much as you should be. So the area seizes up. This is one of the reasons we always encourage you, where possible, to safely in as upright a position as possible, because it's the safest possible position, to move around. A little bit of movement is really important. Many of you guys who have back pain will get trouble in the night or first thing in the morning because the lack of movement that's taken place while the circulatory system is still pumping inflammation into this area has created a seizing effect. Everything's seized up. And without movement, we can't drain some of those areas. Now, there are certain um, movements that are particularly unhelpful. We had someone commenting on one of the uh, YouTube videos the other day about uh, doing the cat camel. I've been told to do this, uh, this cat camel stretch, which basically is uh, sort of this sort of movement of the back. It's very extreme um, to, to pump pump the area, etc. Well, when we've got a fresh injury or there's, there's an injury there that's sort of flared up, we don't necessarily want to do too much movement. But walking around in an upright position with small undulations like that is perfectly acceptable and actually quite often very helpful. We, we sometimes get this with patients where they maybe call us the day before they're, they're in a lot of trouble. Maybe they've got a herniated disc or something like that. And they say, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it in tomorrow because I'm in so much pain. But we say, look, you need to come in. It's going to really help you, et cetera, et cetera. And often just the process of even coming to the clinic makes things better because they have to move and they were otherwise just staying in bed. So movement is important, but we want to make sure it's the right movement. And then to reassure you guys that this isn't anything new. It's not anything abnormal. What I'm saying isn't anything groundbreaking at all. It's something that's generally practiced. So many of you, if you've got back pain and you've had it for a longer period of time, maybe you've seen the GP, maybe you've seen the neurologist, maybe you've seen the physician, maybe you've seen uh, your MSK specialist or your orthopedic surgeon or your GP, and they will have given you painkillers and you'll have heard something along the lines of take naproxen, take gabapentin, take whatever it is, long, long, insert long drug name here, and go away with these for a couple of weeks and see what happens. Even with some conditions where you think, God, this is quite a severe, serious condition. I can see my MRI or I can see my x-ray and I'm thinking, God, this isn't looking too good. But they give you those painkillers and off you go. And, and what they know is that with time, if we can strengthen up your body, it's going to protect you and help the natural healing process take place. And the painkillers aren't doing anything for your recovery. They're just helping you move around. And that that's good in some respects. The problem, I wish they were a little bit more helpful and said, look, I'm giving you these painkillers. We need to get you a little bit more mobile. But the purpose behind me giving you these painkillers is so you can do your rehab properly and stop doing all those bad things. And that's where what sort of motivated us to, to create the Back in Shape program is because you might have been given painkillers. You might be on painkillers right now, or you might be trying to avoid them, which I'd say is generally a better, a better uh, direction, if at all possible. But you need to know the right things to do. You need to do the right sort of rehab. So in answer to the question at the very top of today's live stream, should the pain go completely? Well, no. If the pain goes completely because you've just taken a painkiller, the problem's still there. And the, and the GP, the surgeon, the orthopedic surgeon, the neurologist, etc., all are in agreement that 
that's okay for you to carry on with your daily life. That's why they've given you the painkillers. So knowing that, yes, it, it may well be uncomfortable. Yes, there may well be an injury there, but if we do the right rehabilitation, and that's what we're trying to help you guys with, then you will need to do it before the pain goes. That is very important because it's no different if the pain is there when you woke up in the morning and you pop the pill and the pain's gone completely. Whether or not you took that pill, your body is in the same condition uh, as it was in the morning. And therefore we've still got the same degree of tissue damage. We've still got the same degree of need to do these rehabilitation exercises. We just need to know that we're doing the right ones rather than the wrong ones. And that's where the back and shape uh, exercises come in. So you should be starting your rehabilitation as soon as possible. And in Back in Shape, we, we break this down into three phases. Uh, we've got the phase one, which is there to help you a little bit more with relief and, and learning some of those exercises. And I'll touch on this a little bit later. We've got the phase two, which is really the important part. That's the bit where I'm talking about. You should get into that sooner rather than later because that's what's going to fundamentally strengthen and protect that herniated disc. It's going to protect that spondylolisthesis. It's going to protect that spondylosis or spondylarthrosis. All those long words that basically mean that something's injured in your lower back of varying degrees of severity the muscles are there to protect us and actually the human body is remarkably resilient it's remarkably adaptable if we're just given the right sort of exercises and we've seen that time and time again in the clinic with patients that have had surgery they've had no surgery they've had you know all these sorts of different problems and if you can just get them to do the right sort of things on a daily basis start on the process tentatively of that rehabilitation start to strengthen, up, strengthen things up they can do an awful lot more on a daily basis than they ever thought possible so that's a really really important concept you must avoid doing the wrong exercises though and this is where tying back to this this concept of going to your whoever specialist and getting given the painkillers or, or the injections or whatever it may be often the advice is not there with regards to the right exercises doing things like knee hugs all those sorts of exercises that we've discussed time and time again squashing down on these poor little discs reducing the integrity of this posterior chain the chain of ligaments and muscles that run along the back here that should be nice and tight and supporting you reducing the integrity of those all of those sorts of exercises are unhelpful we want a degree of education in most cases, chronic back pain is the result of bad practices over an extended period of time, maybe interspersed with a little bit of trauma and bad luck, thinking falling off a horse, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a bad education and, and you guys understanding how you use your body. That's why in, in the back and shape, we don't just give you guys one protocol. In fact, most of our videos, the Q&A videos there, are there to help educate you guys and, and help you better understand your body, what's going on inside the body and understand what we should and shouldn't be doing on a daily basis outside of rehab. And quite often those videos sometimes get skipped a little bit, which is uh, a little bit less helpful because then we don't get the education side of things. I recently was speaking to a friend of mine who's an electrician. He went to a, on a call out to a lady's house whose lights were flickering she said oh I, you know this keeps on flickering like this he said oh how long has the water been dripping from the light socket she said oh um uh, a couple of weeks I, the lights were fine though before and and it was like well that's not a good idea we shouldn't have water dripping from our light sockets and it's just educating that particular lady that that probably isn't so good um it's probably akin to jumping in the bath with a toaster so um Education is there. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and that's why helping educate you guys around back pain and around what we should be doing so you're not doing some of these bad exercises, so you know how to bend when you're unloading the dishwasher or in the garden. These sorts of things are really, really important. And if you can add in those activity modifications with your rehab, your pain will slowly start to decrease, your activity will slowly start to increase, and your levels of day-to-day -day enjoyment will start to increase accordingly as well. So that's really important. 
And then we want to have movement and targeted rehab as our primary goal. So I'm gonna cover now just a few of those principles that many of you guys, if you're in the Back in Shape program, you'll already know some of these principles, but it's nice to have a refresher so you can remember them. Technique is the most important thing. We get people uh, messaging and asking us, hey, um, I'm in phase one, should I be doing phase two? I'm not sure I'm ready, I'm, or I'm not, I haven't done any of the exercises. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that I've got you know, uh, arthritis in the spine. I don't know if this is appropriate for me. But just to reassure you, all of these exercises are appropriate for you if you have a back problem. The technique is more or less important, well, it's always important, I would argue, but it's more critical if you have a more severe back problem, maybe a herniated disc, maybe some other back condition. Uh, you know, we've mentioned spondylitis is a, a glaringly obvious one. Um, if you've got more severe back issues, then the technique is more important. And I'm holding the hip here because I'm gonna show you guys something. <laughs> um, so the first thing is we want to get our hips as mobile as possible within reason. Some of you that are hypermobile, we maybe not need, don't need to go quite so far, but we wanna get these hips nice and mobile because they can allow the movement for the back while the back can stay in a, a nice neutral position. They can do the movement for the back rather than the back having to bend forwards. So that's very important. So we've got that stretching there. We're learning to re-engage the core. When we're stretching our hips, we should only be stretching our hips. We shouldn't be stretching our back. The most common one we see with the hamstring stretch is that there. And I can see me bending forwards with my back. I'm not stretching the hamstring effectively. I'm going to hurt my back, especially if I've got a disc injury of some description. It's just not going to be a helpful one. So we want to really avoid those sorts of movements. We want to stretch correctly. And then when we get into that phase two, we're on about providing stability to the core. It's that stability that is going to protect your back with the rehab. If you've got an injury and you say, I'm still in pain, I'm still in pain, I'm pain when I go to the bathroom, I'm pain when I go down the stairs or up the stairs or to, to take the dog out for a walk, it's because we don't have the stability there to protect your back from re-injuring itself on a daily basis. So in that phase two, we're building up that strength and that integrity in that midsection so it can protect your lumbar spine when you're out and about doing various tasks. And unfortunately, sometimes it's something that's been neglected for decades. And that means that it takes a bit of time to build it up. It does take a little bit of time. If we have been neglecting these muscles, these, this control, these movement patterns, how long would it take you to learn uh, to play tennis effectively with your left hand if you've never played for the last, if you haven't played for the last 10 years? It's going to take a bit of time. So feed that into your expectation. It could, these things can all fall apart very, very quickly and we can get back pain very, very quickly that, oh, I, you know, I was fine and then I only had a bit of tension for the last 10 years, but then I put my sock on and all of a sudden my back has been terrible ever since for the last few weeks. And that's not a, that's not a one-off event. That's, that was the last sort of straw that, that, that was too much to handle. The problem has been building for a decade or so and therefore relearning how to use these muscles correctly, how to move correctly can take a little bit of time. So do feed that into your sort of um, your own personal problem, your own personal back pain, and, and really consider the time that it's going to take in some cases to learn some of these things. It can take a bit of time to do it effectively, but it's worthwhile doing. Uh, and there's that Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, the second best time is today. So if you haven't been working on your core for the last 20 years properly, start now because it will pay dividends, especially when it comes to your back pain. So that's really, really important. And then it's about incorporating those core muscles with the other muscles, the larger muscles. So when we're doing things like squats, we're effectively going through the squat whilst keeping this brace and allowing our leg, the powerful leg muscles to work so we can move effectively, so we can 
get up and down out of chairs, all those sorts of things without the back being compromised. It's learning to start to reintegrate those muscles with other, with other, with other um, areas of the body so that we can get effective movement without challenging the back. And that is really where we're going for the long term with this rehab. So in short, to cap it off, if you've got back pain, if you're still worried about your back pain and it's not going away and you've been avoiding rehab, stop doing that. It's really not going to help you get better. Your muscles are not going to get stronger on their own and the muscles being in, uh, inactive and inefficient is what's constantly allowing that back pain to constantly re-injure re itself or that back to constantly re-injure itself. We need to move into it. We need to move into it cautiously and carefully with good technique and good form, but it's necessary to move into your rehab as soon as it's manageable. We're going to Q&A. Okay, brilliant. Should we then switch the uh, mic over? Yep, there Good we go. Good morning, everybody. Okay, some really great comments here. Kate has said, this is so true. When you have an underlying neurological disease, drugs for any pain are the automatic treatment, and these do not help. They make you feel lousy, which makes exercises even more difficult, uh, which makes your neck and your back pain worse. So thank you for bringing this up. Yeah, there's a lot of drugs that have um, musculoskeletal um, effects and widely used ones, for example, statins. A lot of people don't realize that one of the main side effects of statins is um, muscle aches, is, uh, and, muscle aches right? and pains. Yeah. And then and then if you look at this, this is a really good one. So statins are prescribed. I've even had people that I know that have not had high cholesterol, but they've said, oh, you've, your family member, your other family member has high cholesterol. Just take these statins for fun, you know, just in case. You don't need them right now, but just take them anyway. So then with statins, you've got the side effect of muscle cramps, muscle soreness. So then you go to your GP and they say, oh, um, your muscles are sore. It won't be the statins or they won't think of the statins. So they'll then give you uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which ruin your stomach. And then you've got a stomach problem. And now your stomach's hurting and that's got all sorts of issues because we've got inflammation in there so we can't absorb nutrients effectively. And then, okay, let's give you something else to deal with the stomach problem. Because the way in which a lot of medicine works, a lot of drugs work, they work by stopping processes. They mm. get in there and they stop this process from working. So maybe, for example, uh, the chain of reactions that produce cholesterol, it gets in there and cuts it out. So you can't produce that. that kind of how it works but there are other chains other results of those that chain of reactions that our body need and by just cutting it out we can, we can result in other issues so yeah yes do you remember when we were at uni you've got to be careful how i phrase this because i can't remember exactly but it was like if you're taking more than mm. sort of five yeah. five pharmaceutical drugs at a time uh, yeah so you're, you're basically your own kind of clinical trial because yeah. they know how each one would interfere yeah so, so generally um the way in which prescription works and and, and some of you guys may, may have closer experience of this but you get a drug that is proven in randomized control trials to have an effect for this group of people of this condition and they may combine those with other drugs in certain cases but i think the premise of that was that in order for the GP or the doctor to effectively prescribe your medication they generally have to have some sort of research to back it up and to give you that sort of uh, line of treatment. And when you start adding in treatments together, if you've got three, four, I think the number was five, that was there five are no plus. real studies because it's just impossible. There's so many different drugs that look at far, more than five different drugs and how they interact with each other. Are you even going to get the benefit of the one drug if the other three or four, sorry, uh, are actually being taken in the same time? Because some of them will have long half-lives, they'll stay in your system for long periods, some of them will interact with others. Do you really know exactly what's going on? And your GP should be able to reassure you of this and they should be able to talk you through this, but it's something that's not really spoken about. Drugs no. do interact, it's, it's widely known, and they interact because they've done research. And if they haven't done research on that particular subset or group or bundle 
of medications yeah you're, you're effectively your, your own clinical trial like you say yes um i mean that's definitely one to kind of uh, yeah we can un- unpack that maybe gp about yeah you need to speak really to your gp handle, about that but it's just something to be aware of um yep. okay awesome so faye has said the education side of things is what got me to follow your rehab program um, thanks faye. so much conflicting advice from physios etc so understanding why i am doing something is so important so yeah, true. when it comes to rehab and, and things you have to it's, it's i don't we don't want to sort of bash other people because that's not that's not not very nice um on, on our front and it doesn't look very good either um, you have to appreciate that the different practitioners different professions are working from a different set of philosophies and the only person i would bash is someone who's not willing to discuss yeah. that with you as a patient they should be perfectly willing to say i'm recommending this exercise because of xyz what questions do you have about why i've recommended that and then they can go down and answer those questions and have a nice discussion the only person that's not worth speaking to at all is the person that's not willing to have that discussion because as we've said earlier it's the education around this there's 168 hours in a week you might do uh one hour with uh, one hour a day with our back in shape work and maybe you tune in for our live streams from time to time so maybe that's 10 hours a week you've still got 158 hours of which some is sleeping where you're doing stuff at home unsupervised and the only way we're going to really help you guys is if we can help teach you or is it uh, teach a man to fish rather than giving him a fish and that's really important when it comes to our backs because we all live with them all the time okay awesome karen has asked a a really good question i don't think we've uh, spoken about this one before uh should you try working at a at a standing desk to help your back pain yeah we we haven't really talked much about standing desks um but yeah i think they're great i think the 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 really good ones the ones that go up and down um yeah from ikea i think yeah yeah you get the motorized ones you don't want to be there winding your desk up (laughs) by the manual one because that might um not necessarily be so good for your back pain but there's this, this the the adjustable desk, especially now. If 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 working from home is something that you're going to be doing for the long term, uh, you know maybe you're watching this in six months' time and it's you know 2021 and you're still working from home and it's the way in which your company is moving forwards. Then investing in a in a in a mobile desk in an up and down desk um, is actually uh, I, I would suspect a, a really good investment. Yeah. Cool. Since we're on that topic, what about using a Swiss ball to sit on instead of a chair? Um, I think we I think one of the questions and uh, so in case you didn't know, we got our competition going. Uh, for the venom up here um, you can enter that there'll be a link somewhere underneath this video uh, but one of the questions uh, one of the topics you subscribe to the channel uh, like the video it's it's that video link the information will be under here but one of the questions was about chairs and things like that okay. and, and just to sort of uh, give you guys a little bit of a teaser so sports can be awesome but they can also be terrible and it's it's how you use that chair this chair this cheap little ikea chair that's you know we built it here ourselves with no arguments which was really good as with ikea (laughs) furniture yeah but you know how ikea furniture is sometimes people uh get into all sorts of disagreements of doing those with other people um but it's, it's how you sit in the chair. A Swiss ball you can sit in really well. A Swiss ball you can slouch really, really well as well. So it's, it's, it's how you use the chair. And I think the biggest thing you could probably take away from this, even if we go back, to, well, if we take it back to the original topic of should my back pain go before my rehab, it's taking accountability, taking control of the situation and realizing that you are actually in a good degree of control. It's, it's, it's I'm going to do my rehab because it's the right thing. I'm going to sit in my chair correctly. The chair isn't going to sit there for me. The chair isn't going to support me for me i'm going to use my own musculoskeletal system to hold myself in an upright position and i'm going to use good sense to move around a little bit more on a daily basis get out the chair get back in the chair etc um to off the ball and on the ball um to, to make sure my back is as healthy as possible okay very good um ollie has asked how long does it normally take for muscles to grow and strengthen 
Uh, well, it's going to take a very long time if you're not getting enough protein. If you if you've got questions about protein, definitely go into we did a we did a little bit more of a, an, an in depth dive on the uh, Facebook group uh, back in shape at face, Facebook group yeah um, where I put out a few bits and pieces. But essentially, um, it does take a little bit of time. You can make some good progress inside three or four months. Uh, sorry, three or four weeks. So that's the great thing about the muscles; they do change quite quickly. Um, so you can make some real progress. Then you're going to hit a plateau. Um, so after maybe four to six weeks, you might start hitting a little bit of a plateau where you start to need to do a little bit more and push the boat out. That's why our rehab uh, phase one, phase two, phase three process is progressive. It, it helps you make sure that you're building the um, progression. But if we're not getting enough protein on board, how are we going to build the muscles? It's like trying to build a house with no bricks. So we need to get be getting enough. As, as you guys will know, if you've seen any of our other live streams, when we've mentioned this, we're looking at around about one gram to 1.4 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, that's based on research. Uh, a lot of the old research was looking at 0.8 and, and, and around that region is just not enough. Um, especially if we're trying to build that sort of baseline um, baseline was one one gram per kilogram of body yeah. weight. So do the maths. It's it's, it's on on, the, on all food packets by law. It'll say in there 100 grams of this food will equate to generally if it's a meat, it's going to be around about 25, 20 grams. Fish is about 19, 20 grams um, of protein per 100 grams. Okay, awesome. Um, because there is that common misconception, especially amongst sort of younger uh, females, I know because my friends, etc., um, that if you have too much protein, you're gonna turn into the Hulk. Or yeah. Get really, really bulky. Yeah, I, um, I mean, which, is, which isn't the case, and you definitely need protein for health and repair. So yeah, I, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a pet peeve that one. I think it bothers a lot of guys that are in the gym trying to train as hard as they can that are eating tons of food and 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 taking you know a good amount of time to put on proper muscle. When and when a girl comes in who doesn't have the advantages of higher testosterone levels and says, "Oh my god, if I eat any meat, I just get so bulky." It's like there's a whole industry <laughs> that that you that you know that use steroids and all those other sorts of things in order to actually put on muscle mass. But you know, it doesn't add up. No, so, um, so, so yeah. in, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of protein. It's not going to make you bulky. Uh, and if it does, please send us a picture because we'll have to do a research article on you. Okay, <laughs> awesome. So Joe has asked here: Is there a uh, a way to objectively measure core strength? Yeah, um, the number of exercises you're doing. Super simple. What so do you mean? As in, as in objectively measuring. Let's say the yellow band. Yeah, even if you're starting on the dead bugs. Okay. So we've had some people they can't do three dead bugs. Okay. For example, in the phase one of the first phase two exercises, objectively measuring your core. I mean, you can't score it on a level of one to ten, but um, if you start those phase two exercises and you're able to do three reps of the dead bugs, for example, correctly, good form, because you could do ten of them badly and only three of them properly. Um, and if two or three weeks down the line you're doing six reps, you've made an improvement. You've made objective what. 100% improvement in three weeks. Uh, many of you guys, that'll come from technique. That'll come from control over the muscles that we do have um, in the early stages. And that's where I mentioned we might hit a little bit of a plateau because we, if the first bit of gain is, is just getting technique right. Maybe that takes a little bit of time to get the technique at all. And then we can make a quick bit of improvement. We go from maybe three, four, five, and then we jump up to 10 very quickly because we've got the technique there. And then we might start to plateau a little bit and then we push on again. So um, yeah. That's the easiest way. Look at your rep numbers. 
and don't cheat. <laughs> okay, awesome. Veronica's just left a, a comment here. Um, any new people watching today who are older, please take notice of what Michael is saying. Don't be fobbed off with It's Your Age by your GP. The exercises really do work. Um, and you Thanks, actually Veronica. gain pain relief as well as gaining confidence. Oh, what a lovely message. Thank Thanks, you so Veronica. Much, that, that, Veronica. And, so and nice. just, just on the topic of that, to, to reassure you guys, um, many of you will know that we do a lot of scans. We do a lot of x-rays uh, in particular. And the amount of times that we'll send, and I might have mentioned this before, but we'll send a, uh, a 25-year-old, they'll go and get an x-ray done. We'll send a 55-year-old, they'll go and get an x-ray done. And you look at the x-rays, because we look at everything. Looking at the scan is so much more important than actually reading a report. Um, it, it's just completely different. Um, and you look at them and objectively looking at them, you see if you showed a, a radiologist these two scans, they'd say the same thing. Oh, it's blah, blah, blah. But they both say, okay, spine, some minor wear and tear at L5S1, for example. And they look exactly the same images. You could swap them and you couldn't retell really the difference. And then in the reports, they say, good lumbar spine, um, normal age-related wear and tear for the 25-year-old and for the 55-year-old, and the images look the same. There's just such inconsistency around the reporting, and it really bothers me that there's constantly this, oh, it's just your age, oh, it's just your age. It's really, really difficult to suggest that one particular joint in the spine is just your age. That L5S1 is not older than the L12. <laughs> Yet if it's got substantially more degenerative change down here, if we've got a bulging disc, if we've got spondylosis or whatever it may be at L5S1 and they're saying it's normal age-related wear and tear, that statement is functionally really useless because why is this one not older? What, is this one 20 and this one's 50? Well, based on my previous example, that, that's not even true because we have a 55-year-old and a 25-year-old coming back with the same comments on the same X-ray, the same looking X-ray. So you need to unpack that it's it's unfortunate because i i can't remember who said this exactly but it sounds like you're being fobbed off and you are yeah. you are really being fobbed off and it's not helpful um and that's why you know people are are doing doing this sort of stuff they're looking for help online and and it's a real shame that you can't get the support from from I someone think, who who should be able to give it you yeah i think now more than ever sort of age really is just um just just a number I mean, oh yeah you've got like 80 year old women who are doing you know, iron mans and things Ironmans, yeah you know they're so fit and healthy and now there's all that talk sort of in like the scientific community of people oh, some, of, of people going you know they're going to be living to 120 possibly yeah. even 150 there's some the, really really awesome anti-aging stuff yeah, um, so it's not something we talk about too much but it's a really really interesting and very exciting field of research yeah. and and um you can see the exact opposite you can see a, a 25 30 year old that looks really old they just have not taken care of their body over the years mm. the short years they've been around so um you know there's a lot you can do to take control of your health and well-being and when you start doing that you're going to feel younger yeah super interesting stuff okay i think that's uh, that's it for today just one awesome. one thing that that i've been meaning to say the gyms are opening as of the yeah, 25th, 25th of july so I, I feel like we should do a live stream covering kind of yeah. what 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 to not do because I feel like a lot of people are going to be tempted even myself to just go in and start doing loads of squats it's like oh no that is that is such a bad thing yeah when did you say yeah so the gyms are open on the 25th of this month so that's about two weeks yeah. two weeks away and uh yeah th th there's hope hopefully not but there probably will be a lot of people going in and injuring themselves by the 
sort of 15th of August because they've overdone it. So we'll, we'll do a video on that for you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a bit of advance warning so you can make sure you don't miss it uh, just to guide you a little bit more, especially if you're, if you're someone who likes going to the gym. I know there's a few of our back and check members that, you know, want to get back into the gym. They want to do the right sort of exercise. They don't want to hurt themselves. Um, so we'll, we'll do a video on that as well. Okay. okay. Any other questions? Um, Alex has literally just put a comment and he said, uh, given the amount of economical impact, loss of work days, etc., uh, due to back pain, why is osteopathy not offered on the NHS? Ooh, hang on. Um, I've not, uh, I've not met a GP yet, and I work with them who has the depth of knowledge or understanding you have about uh, rehabilitating back injuries. And you said, thank you, guys. Oh, thanks, Alex. I think, I think we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, like I said, bash other practitioners unless they. Uh, Unless, unless they're being, like I said earlier, refusing to ask questions, but uh, you know the GPs have a hard have a hard time. They, they're they're under time they're under time pressure. Oh, ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes with a person, and uh, you know we're speaking to you guys for what thirty minutes today. And also, every is, single week, every single week. Is it just my GP or does everyone's GP run about forty five minutes behind schedule? Well, yeah, there's that you know because <laughs> everyone's trying to get their time, yeah. um, and it would just be better if they just said, look this will help yeah. um, and, and, and direct you there. You know, we're dealing with back pain day in, day out, and we're talking about it every single day on these live streams and obviously with patients and virtual consultations and in the clinic, et cetera. So it's something that we're just talking about all the time. We're doing all the time. The GP is seeing, you know, right now they're doing maybe some coronavirus stuff. They're doing some other bits and pieces, other bits and pieces, uh, you know, and they're seeing lots of different things and having to just jump from one knowledge base to the other is actually, is really difficult, which is why it's, the, it's in the name, general. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not gonna get specific advice from a general, a general outlook, if you will. Yeah. Um, so they rely on their support networks to be able to sort of direct you to different places. Uh, on the topic of osteopathy being available, I think there are certain places where you can get sort of uh, contracts or or, or or see osteopaths. And, and some good GPs will actually refer you for osteopathy. Um, some will do it maybe reluctantly, but a lot of them will say, "Look, if you want to get some osteopathy for your for your back pain, then I can I can write a referral note for you, and um, and and that will help from a point of view of private insurances." And there are one or two cases where there are osteopaths within the NHS, but it's not not particularly commonplace. Yeah, uh, but our form of osteopathy treatment has kind of evolved over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, well, what we do is very different. So you like we have we don't really talk too much about the clinic on these live streams and the tech that we use in here. Maybe we we can do in one one of the future videos. Um, but uh, yeah, what we do is, is very different using things like the IDD therapy, the laser therapy, the vibration therapy, the use of the x-rays and the rehab and, and obviously this program as well. We've kind of, yeah, now. we don't really do much in the way of clicks and cracks, although I did, that was sort of the main thing I used to do when I, when I started, um, which is good fun, but you know, this works better, which is why we do it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Uh, a lot of good comments saying sounds, uh, sounds great. Thanks again. Uh, brilliant advice. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Uh, if you're new to the channel, please do consider subscribing and sharing these videos if you do find them helpful with someone else. Just a little reminder of our competition to win the uh, Venom unit. That'll be announced next Friday. Next Friday. Yes. yes, it will, next Friday. Uh, but until then, have a great weekend, guys. Uh, if you're in the Back and Shape membership area, we'll see you guys in the Facebook group over the weekend and we will see you next week with another live stream have a great afternoon